I want to do something a little bit different this morning for our introduction. We're going to actually have two parts to it. Um, I don't know if um, any of you have ever done this before, so this may be a first-time adventure. But one of the things that we actually believe about God is that when we pray, one, he listens, but that he can hear all of our separate voices all at the same time. And so I want us to pray this morning. And I specifically want us to pray for Bryce and Nisha and Jed and Zeke. The last message I got from Bryce last night was that, one, they knew that Zeke was not right, had a CAT scan, confirmed he had a concussion, and so they were going to be watching him through the night. But then he had this little postscript that said, oh, and Jed's been diagnosed as pre-pneumonia. So if, if ever there was a situation where it rains and pours, um, they're just going through it right now. And so I would like to take just a minute or two to lift Bryce and Nisha and Jed and Zeke up in prayer. And here's what I would like you to do. At least it makes a difference for me. We all know that we can pray in our heads. So I could just ask you to pray in your heads and just be, it would just be quiet in here for a couple minutes. But I'd like to ask you to try something else. I'd like to ask as many as you are willing to actually pray out loud at the same time. Now, we won't be able to understand each other. But that doesn't matter. God will. And after a couple of minutes, then I'll close and uh, then we'll proceed with the introduction. So whatever you want to express, if you want to continue sitting, if you want to stand, however you want to do that, let's go to God in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, you are a good and loving and powerful God.
And Father, we're grateful that you hear our prayers. And Father, I just pray right now that Bryce and Nisha and Jed and Zeke would know, would feel your presence, and would know that we are praying for them. And Father, we pray for um, Jed and Zeke's complete recovery. We look forward to seeing them with us again soon. And we just ask for comfort for Bryce and Nisha and rest for them all today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Um, We started this uh, adventure in the story a long time ago, it seems like. And I want to take you back to a verse from Genesis as we think about where we're, um, where we're at and where we're going this morning. Um, in Genesis 12:1, the Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Well, after last week, we might have some doubts about that. The northern kingdom has fallen, the southern kingdom has fallen, the people of Judah are headed into captivity The situation is not looking good at all. But what I want you to remember this morning, and as we talk about Daniel, I want us all to remember that God had a plan, and in spite of all of the choices, all of the choices, good ones and mostly bad ones, (laughs) um, of his people, God's plan would be carried out. It would. Everything he had promised would come to be. And as his people, how should that make us feel? For those of you who, um, who atten- attended Sunday school as a child, um, the, the stories we're going to hear this morning are very familiar because they're some of the most um, oft-repeated stories from, um, from our childhood. Um, but hopefully we'll get a little different um, perspective on them this morning. Um, we're going to talk about Daniel and I'm going, to, I'm going to cheat this morning because Daniel and um, his uh, three buddies, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, got renamed. And they all got renamed. And Daniel got renamed Belteshazzar, which is a real mouthful. And for some reason, the other three names have become easy because I've been saying them since I was really young. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So, 
I will use the Babylonian names for the three and um, let Daniel be Daniel um, because it's just too hard to pronounce um, the other name. Um, So the place we are in the story, last week the kingdom of Judah fell and Nebuchadnezzar came and took away many of the Jews into exile to become slaves in Babylon. And God allowed that to happen because the Jews had apparently given up on him. And the, the temple was desecrated and there were just all sorts of problems going on. And so um, God says, okay, you gave up on me. You can go away for a while. And so the Babylonians came and they had a strategy which was kind of interesting. They took the best and brightest that they could find and they brought them to Babylon. And then the absolute best of those, King Nebuchadnezzar says, I want you to find the absolute best of these young men that you can find and I want you to put them in an intensive training program so that they can become servants in my kingdom. And so he, he takes these, um, and the four guys, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and puts them together with a bunch of other young men, and they were probably about 15 or 16, and they're going to go into heavy-duty training. It's going to be 24-7 immersion in Babylonian culture. They're going to learn history. They're going to learn the language. They're going to learn um, how to, what to eat and all. I mean, they're going to become Babylonians um, so that they can serve the king and the king's court. And so he pulls them all together. But there's a little problem. Now, we might not consider it a problem, but he says, okay, so what they're going to eat is they're going to eat from my table. So they're going to eat the food that I eat. So they're going to eat the meats that I eat. They're going to uh, drink the wine that I drink. And that, that's what they're going to, to do. And Daniel says, um, I don't think so. <laughs> um, and we don't know for sure what the problem was. We don't know whether it was blood in the meat or whether the king was a fond favorite um, his favorite food was pork or, or whatever, but we do know that whatever he was suggesting that they eat was repulsive to, to Daniel, and he didn't want to eat it. So, now, this is a little hard to imagine, right? Because you're 15 or 16 years old, and you've been drug away from your home, you've been separated from your family, and you're basically dropped in, I guess what I would call the equivalent of boot camp, right? And you're just, you're there, right? And you are the lowest of the low at that point. You may be bright, that's great, but you are absolutely not in charge. And there are these really scary people in charge, and they are scary because they routinely kill people who don't do what they're supposed to do. It isn't like there's these long trials or whatever. Nebuchadnezzar has quite a temper, and if somebody doesn't go along with the program, 
He doesn't hesitate. It's just, okay, you're out, which means you're dead. That's the approach. So in the midst of this, talk about strength. Daniel's in the midst of this situation, and I can't, for me, I can't even imagine it. Um, because I, everybody knows I'm, I'm more than a bit of a people pleaser, and I would want to make the guard happy. Right? That's what I would want to do. Not Daniel. Um, but it's starting in, and we are in the book of Daniel. So you can follow along this morning. We're in the book of Daniel, and we're in chapter 1 right now, and in verse 8, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. I can just imagine the chief official. What? You have the king's best food, and you don't want to eat it? You're worried about defiling yourself? That must have been an interesting conversation, but listen to verse 9 as Daniel records it. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my Lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. The expectation was that the king's food, all of it, was the best that could be provided and therefore would result in the healthiest, strongest young men to serve the king. And Daniel says, nope, I'm a vegetarian. Just bring me vegetables and water and that'll work for me. Daniel was pretty bright because this is a three-year program that they're going through. This is not a short-term, couple-of-weeks um, training exercise. They've got three, weeks of the, three years of this to go through. So Daniel says, here's what we'll do. i got a suggestion. Let's do an experiment. We get to drink, eat vegetables and drink water for 10 days, and then you look at us, and you see how we look compared to the others. And if we look okay then you let us continue to eat vegetables and drink water for the rest of the time that we're here. They do the experiment, which is amazing. And Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego look better than all of the rest of the young men. And so they say, okay, you get to eat what you want for the rest of your time there. And in addition to that... In verse 17, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. They went to the head of the class. Daniel trusted God enough to make a request that seems totally out of place and ends up at the top of the heap in the terms of this class. And he ends up serving that administration and a couple more um, in Babylon. Now, one of the things that I thought about this morning as a, 
Aaron was doing his communion meditation, the concept of ritual. How did Daniel get so strong? How did he develop the ability or the commitment or the trust to ask that question? Where did that come from? Because the picture we certainly had from last week is a, a kingdom in just total disarray. Everybody's worshiping idols. Nobody cares. There must have been a remnant because Daniel's commitment to God didn't just come out of nowhere. Somebody taught it to him and it stuck. He had been eating the right food and he knew why. He had been taught to pray and he knew why. And now God was able to use that for his glory and his plan. Now, I was, um, speaking of plans, two months ago, I would have thought that this would have been my first Sunday back here. Not that I would have been standing up here, but it would have been my first week back sitting out there somewhere very quietly um, and probably still in a great deal of pain. But God had other plans. Um, and I'm really grateful for God's plan because it was a whole, better, whole lot better plan than my plan. And I think we generally find that is the case that God's plans are always the best. So, we don't know, and if you look at the timeline in Daniel, it can be a little confusing in terms of where things happen. So, we're not sure exactly where this story happens. It may have actually happened while they were still in training. But Nebuchadnezzar, in, with all of his other personality quirks, he had lots of dreams. And he had a dream... And in this dream, he saw some things that disturbed him, and so he wanted the dream to be interpreted. But Nebuchadnezzar had a trust problem. He didn't trust anybody. And he has a large number of wizards and astrologers and all these people who are supposed to help him understand his dreams but he has this sneaking feeling that they've been deceiving him. And he doesn't trust them. And so he calls them in and he says, here's what I want you to do. I need you to interpret my dream. And then they're like, oh, no problem, Nebuchadnezzar. Tell us what the dream is and we'll interpret it. Tell us the dream and we know what you want to hear and we'll tell you what you want to hear and, and everything will be good. And Nebuchadnezzar says, time out. We're not doing that this, that way this time. I want you to tell me what the dream was. When you tell me what the dream was, then I'll know that you actually have the ability to interpret it. And if you can't tell me what the dream was, then you're all a bunch of phonies and you're all going to die. 
this is not trivial, you're going to get fired. This is, you're all going to be executed. And they're like panicked because they have no clue what the dream is. And they know Nebuchadnezzar. This is not a, you know, a, a, a veiled threat, you know, a, something that he's just blustering. Um, this is serious. And so little time goes by. And one of the king's soldiers goes to Daniel and says, Daniel, I'm going to take you to execute you because you're one of the country's wise men and Nebuchadnezzar's had this dream and nobody can interpret it and nobody knows what the dream is. And unless somebody knows what the dream is, this is over. Again, Daniel is a Jewish exile. He's a young man. And as we're going to see in the story a little down the road, the next thing he does is really strange. Daniel goes to the king. Young kid, alien to the country, walks into the king and says, King, can we hold off 24 hours? If we can hold off 24 hours... We'll see if God will give me the answer to this situation. Starting in verse 16. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. He goes to the king, and he tells the, the king the dream. And in verse 27, Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. His dream, your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. And Daniel proceeds to tell him about his dream of this statue that has a gold head and then proceeds down through a bronze chest and 
through iron and stone, um, and, and he tells them exactly what the dream was, and then the interpretation is, you're the gold head. You're the guy on top, but it isn't going to be forever. There's going to be a kingdom after that, and a kingdom after that, and a kingdom after that. And then God, who's ultimately in charge, is going to shatter all of those kingdoms and replace it with a kingdom that will last forever. And that's the kingdom that we're a part of and the kingdom that we are anticipating in the future. Verse 37, Your Majesty, you are the King of Kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky. Whether they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. But note something. The God of heaven has given you dominion. You didn't take it. You didn't deserve it. You aren't the person on top. There's somebody else in charge. God is ultimately in charge. And you serve only because he allows you to. Now, Nebuchadnezzar had a really short memory. And if, if we think we deal with egos in politics and culture, I don't think we've got anything who has anything on King Nebuchadnezzar. He not only knew he was king, but he thought he was God. And he thought he was worthy of worship. And so he creates a 90-foot-high statue of himself that's tall. That's, that's a big thing. Um, and, of course, you needed a big thing because you needed everybody to be able to see it. And he creates this statue, and then he gathers all of the leaders of the country. So this would be like... This would be like President Trump saying, okay, I've created this 90-foot statue of myself and I've put it up on the mall in Washington, D.C. and I want the Supreme Court and all of Congress and all of the state governors and maybe pulls in all the mayors. I, I want all of the leaders of the entire United States to gather together and I want them to bow down to my statue. Crazy. But that's what Nebuchadnezzar did. He says, okay, I want to gather all the leaders of the country together, and I want them all to come to Babylon, and I want, as soon as the music starts playing, I want to see everybody bowing down to my statue. And so the music starts, and everybody bows down, 
except for three guys. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in this kind of situation. It occasionally um, happens in a crowd or whatever, and sometimes we pop up at the wrong time. But if you've got a whole bunch of people who are sitting or bowed down and you've got one person standing, it's pretty easy to see that person. You notice them. They're not doing the same thing as everybody else. And so Nebuchadnezzar's advisors say, um, King, we got a problem. You expected to see a sea of people bowing down and they're not all bowing down. And we know those three guys. Those three guys are really high in your administration and they're still standing up. And so Nebuchadnezzar says, well, I, I like these guys. They're really important to my administration. Call them up here. Maybe they didn't understand. So Nebuchadnezzar, um, he's upset. Starting in verse 13 of chapter 3, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? This is one of my favorite couple of verses in the Bible. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you set up. You're the king. It's your privilege to toss us into the furnace. You can do that. And whether we survive or not, that's up to God, not up to you. It's one of the things that has really struck me um, about a couple of individuals that um, I've really come to admire. Uh, One is Watchman Nee in China and the other is um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in Germany. And these were men who could see that things were happening that were not good and were not going to be in favor of the proclamation of the gospel Kingdoms that were kings or rulers who were basically asking people to worship other things other than God. And yet they had the courage to stay, to continue to worship God, and to accept the consequences of staying. 
which in Watchman Nee's case meant death eventually in prison. And in Bonhoeffer's case, it meant hanging just a few days before the end of World War II. They gave their lives because they would not worship anything but God. And Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego basically said to Nebuchadnezzar, we will not worship you. We will serve in your administration. We will do everything we can to help you. But when you ask us to worship you, that's a line we will not cross. And he was so angry, he cranked up the furnace hotter than it was. And then one of the most amazing things is the soldiers that took them to throw them into the furnace, it was so hot that they were killed by the flames. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and somebody else were seen walking around in the fire. And Nebuchadnezzar says... um, Come here. (laughs) What's going on? How did this happen? And they looked at him, and the fire hadn't touched them. They didn't even have a smell of smoke on them. Not a thing. They were absolutely fine. And I wish Nebuchadnezzar had stayed here, but he didn't. But then Nebuchadnezzar said, verse 28. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So if you ever hear about a trial by fire, (laughs) that was it. Well, Nebuchadnezzar goes through some other stuff and eventually his son Belteshazzar becomes the king and Belteshazzar doesn't do well and doesn't remember God at all. And... um, Daniel comes into his life and predicts that he's going to die the same night and um, becomes a friend of the next administration to come in. And ultimately, in Daniel 6, King Darius of the Persians is going to appoint 120 guys to rule over his domain. And... With three administrators over them, and one of those was going to be Daniel. And got to remember, Daniel's still in exile. He's not a native Persian. He's not a native Babylonian. He's a Jew. And he's being selected to be in the position of administrator over all of these guys. Well, the other 117 were not thrilled with this prospect. 
and they looked and they hunted. I don't know if they hired private detectives, but they, they were looking for something in Daniel's closet that they could get him on that would cause the king to say, now this guy can't be one of these key guys. And they couldn't find a thing except that Daniel was faithful to God. And he had rituals in his life. He prayed to God three times a day, every day. And so they went to the king and they said, King! And you can just imagine this conversation. You're such a good guy. You're worthy of worship. You ought to make a law that people can only pray to you. Since you're the only one who can make things happen in this kingdom, wouldn't that be logical? Wouldn't that be reasonable? And we want you to make this law, and we want you to make it in a way that it absolutely can't be changed, and anybody who violates this law is going to be thrown into a lion's den. And the king, being highly complimented, says, sounds reasonable to me. So for 30 days, nobody can pray to anyone but me. And he's feeling really good about that. Till a little while later, these same guys come back and they said, uh, King, guess what we saw? Because it's fascinating. In verse 10 of chapter 6, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Okay, I don't know about you. King issues the decree. I hear the decree. The first thing that's running through my, my mind is, is, okay, how do I continue to pray in a way that these guys won't find out and I won't get thrown in the lion's den? Right? Right? I can continue to be faithful. I'm just going to be faithful in some way that maybe isn't quite as obvious as the, as the way I've generally done that before. Nope, not Daniel. He goes home, throws open the windows. I actually wouldn't be surprised, even though it's not in the text, I wouldn't be surprised if he looks out and he sees the guys out there standing there and says, Hi there, I'm about to pray. And then prays loud enough so they can hear he absolutely does not begin praying, O King Darius. Instead, he lifts up his voice to God and they find him praying and they go and they remind the king of his decree and the king is distraught because he likes Daniel a lot and he realizes he's been tricked. And he can't do anything about it. He has to throw Daniel into the lion's den. And so he throws him into the lion's den and he can't sleep all night and he gets up the next morning and he discovers verse 20. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions?
Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Through all of Daniel's life, Daniel trusted that God was in control. And now I'm looking for a page. Which is not here. So I have to do things the old-fashioned way. Is there a Bible down there? Thank you, Anthony. Jeremiah 29. And we'll close with this. Starting in verse 1, Jeremiah was prophesying what was going to happen to the Jews. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests. The prophets and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim and the queen mother, the court officials and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem the craftsmen and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elasa, son of Shaphan, and to Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. God had a plan. 
Daniel trusted the plan. Because Daniel trusted the plan, he was able to serve God and honor Him and make God visible through 70 years of captivity. He lived to be quite an old man, and there's some thought that he was the one who actually planted the seed in Darius's mind to allow the Jews to return to Jerusalem. Because Daniel always knew God was in control. Let's pray. Father, um, we also live in difficult times. Our culture is not what it used to be, and we face challenges every day. And yet, Father, I pray that we will be at peace because we know that you are in charge. You are in control and you have a plan and you've given us a picture of that plan and it's a wonderful plan. And we look forward to spending eternity with you and yet now, Father, we pray that you will give us the courage and the wisdom to trust you and honor you and glorify you among our community, our friends, our neighbors, our families, that they might know you as well as we do. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have any needs for prayers or encouragement, I invite you to come forward as we stand and sing our closing song. Great.